further ado, I want to introduce to you the man that rebukes me, the man that keeps me in, in shape, the man that speaks life over me and everything that you see me do to you, he does to me, my shepherd, my spiritual pops. Let's give it up for Pastor Benjamin. How's everybody? How's everybody? Good to be with you tonight. Good to see all of you. It was so awesome to see you up on the roof praying it up. That's awesome. Awesome. My wife and Alethe are out eating tteokbokki. And uh, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get some tteokbokki another time. Yeah. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus that you'd speak sovereignly to each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours. I speak blessing over the lives of these. Lord, that you've set them apart in their generation, Father. Each and every one is here because they've been set apart. And Lord, teach us to sanctify the Lord Christ in our hearts that we'd all be ready to give a reason to anyone who asks for the hope that we have. And, Lord, we'll be able, if we learn how to sanctify Christ, Lord, we're constantly asking you to sanctify us, but, Lord, teach us how to sanctify Christ in our hearts, how to set him apart in our hearts. And, Father, I pray that we would learn, Father, how to be pure of heart and pure of mind. Lord, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And Father, in this next season, you are demanding holiness of this next generation, not simply because of moral impurity and your hatred for it, but you want us to be holy because you want us to see you. Lord, you desire to appear, God. You want to be seen by us, but you can only be seen by those who are holy. And so, Father, I pray for a spirit of holiness and a spirit of burning. Lord, the scripture says that you will purify the the women of Zion by a spirit of holiness and a spirit of burning. And, Father, I pray tonight that a spirit of holiness would come and a spirit of burning would come and that you would burn away the chaff, O God. Mighty God, that you would make us holy, O God. That you would whiten our garments in the blood of the Lamb. Father God, I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we give you all of the praise. We give you all of the glory, and it's in your precious holy name we pray these things. Amen. Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord. Look at your neighbor. Say, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Translation, trust the Lord and not yourself. If the Lord says it's one way but it looks another way to you, trust the Lord and not yourself. If the Lord says it's blue but it looks green to you, trust the Lord and not yourself. If the Lord says you're blessed, but you feel like you're cursed, trust the Lord and not yourself. The problem is your understanding will get you in trouble. Your understanding will cause you to call God a liar if you don't trust him. 
Unbelief is the inability to surrender the perceptions of our own understanding. Unbelief says, this is the way I see it. This is the way I think of it. This is the way I understand it. It's my story and I'm sticking to it. And God could send all of the angels from heaven to tell you it's different. But if you lean on your own understanding, you won't believe him. Why? Because it doesn't look that way to me. It doesn't seem that way to me. It doesn't sound that way to me. I'm leaning on my own understanding. But the author says, trust in the Lord. Yeah, I won't be needing that. Thank you. That was making me nervous. You can actually take it away because I'm going to trip over that. Thank you. (laughs) Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. What I want to suggest to you tonight is that there's only one way for you to obey this passage of Scripture. You are only able to trust in the Lord if you have been crucified with Christ. That is, when the self is very much alive, the, 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 the aliveness of the flesh is characterized by the dependence upon our own understanding. In other words, to the degree that you depend on your own understanding, to that same degree, your flesh is very much alive. But if you are able to, by the Spirit, put to death the works of the flesh, as Paul said in Romans 8, 17, you will live. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You have to put to death your understanding so that you can begin to live out of what Paul talked about in Galatians 2.20 when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the body, I live what? By faith in the Son of God. Faith and trust are the same thing. It says trust in the Lord. It means have faith in the Lord. It means believe in the Lord. Paul says the only way I can live the crucified life is by faith. You know what it means to be crucified with Christ? It, you know, in Korean culture, there, there's a strong, strong value for sacrifice. Strong value. And I, you know, I'm still learning. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. You know, my wife watches all these Korean videos and these Korean dramas, and I watch them too. Don't get me wrong, you know. Sometimes she'll find me watching a whole series. She's like, you started that by yourself? I'm like, yeah. yeah. But I can't do it very often. See, Netflix, actually, they have a whole line of Korean dramas now. Korean movies, Korean dramas, all of that, you know. So the the latest one I watched was uh, City Hunt, City Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> but but there what what I there, there's a lot of things that happen in Korea. Now I've been married to a Korean woman for thir- almost 13 years. July of this year we will have been married for 13 years. And I've known this woman since 1994. I have been connected to Korean culture since the fourth grade. My best friend in the fourth grade was named Judy Chung. Is there a Judy Chung? I got a witness. And 
every once in a while, her mom would make a huge bowl of kalbi and send it with her to school. And, and we would be, I would be grubbing on that kalbi. I loved it so much. I tutored ESL students in college and, and, uh, and so I, I have, I have a, a long, I've known, I've been exposed to Korean culture for a long time, but I still don't understand the type of sacrifice. Like there was a, a, a drama and there was a grandmother who never ate meat throughout the whole thing. And then she was about to die. And she said, bring me some kalbi. And they said, grandma, harmony. We thought you didn't like meat. She said, no, I love meat. How come you never eat it? And they found out that grandma felt that they were too poor for everybody to eat meat. So she just decided, I'm not going to eat any meat so that the kids can eat a little bit more meat. And I thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard before in my life. If I found out my grandma had gone without meat for 20 years because she thought we were poor, I would have rebuked that spirit of poverty <laughs> off of her. I said, are you kidding me? Shoot, if we got 10 pieces of kalbi and there's seven of us, we'll divide it seven ways. You know, because I, you know, you know just didn't understand. Or how about this one? You know, um, the, the husband comes home and the wife is gone, disappeared. No note, nothing. And then it flips to the scene and she's sitting by the beach in a, in a city far away and she's gone blind because she's got, because she's dying of cancer. And so, and you know, my wife, she watches that and she cries. Oh. She loves him so much. I told her, I said, if you ever disappear without telling me because you got cancer, I will find you. (laughs) She said, no, she left because she loved him. And she didn't want him to have to see her suffer. She didn't want to be a burden. How do you think it feels to come home and your wife is gone and you never see her again? You think that's less of a burden? I said, that's just demonic. I mean, that is deception. But it's all about sacrifice. Sacrifice. And for some reason, when we take our high value for sacrifice, because we're all Koreans in this room right now. (laughs) Gotcha. I'm half Korean. My wife, she's my better half. She's my Korean half. She's my baby's mama. I mean, really. <laughs> what are we talking about? So, 
For some reason, we think when we're talking about crucifying the flesh and put it to death, it means we got to sacrifice. I got to crucify the flesh, so I'm going to fast more. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with fasting. But most, I, you know, a lot of believers I talk to are so afraid, they're walking around scared to death that God wants to take something from them. I talk to people who don't know Christ and say, well, why won't you come to him? Because of what I have to give up. How can you take something that's about a gift that God gives you and make it about a list of stuff that God wants to take from you? The Christian life is about entering into a relationship with a benevolent God whose good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you. But we're walking around scared to death all the time that he wants to take something. The Father wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. He is more willing to give than you are to receive. He's not trying to take. He wants to increase you. Now, sometimes he takes things from you because he has to, because you're going to kill yourself with it. You know, today we were sitting at the lunch table and my daughter picked up a knife like this. Said, give me that! I mean, the way she held it, she looked like a mass murderer. I laid hands on her afterwards. Come out of her. (laughs) We think it's about sacrifice. I'm going to crucify that flesh. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give up some more stuff. And I love the real creative fasts that people go on. I think the way most people, a lot of people fast it's just foolishness. Say, I'm a fast TV. That's just foolishness. I'm a fast Facebook. What? I'm going to fast meat. Okay, I've done that a few times. But we get this idea, I just need to give up something for this period of time and that's how I'm going to crucify the flesh. Do you know, let's, let's, let's talk about this. You know what sacrifice does? It afflicts your soul. In the book, in the book of Leviticus, that was the Holy Spirit. I just broke into tongues. Now I'm going to translate. I'm going to interpret. <laughs> in the book of Leviticus, Fasting is often spoken of as the affliction of the soul. God said, this day will be a sacred fast unto the Lord, and you will afflict your soul. Notice that fasting is not afflicting the body. Your body's okay. You could go without food for a long time, and your body will be okay. It's your soul that's afflicted. The desire for food, is that a desire of the body or a desire of the soul? Mostly the soul. What the body actually needs to live on. Most of us eat way more than that. Matter of fact, our bodies are are often crying out, stop, don't eat that. No. Too much. 
You're trying to kill me? The soul will destroy the body. You ever been full, like super full, and felt like I still need to eat more? You ever been full and you just stood up and you said, I need something. What do I, you think it's the body that needs? Your stomach is b- pushing out to here. You could feel the gas just welling up. Your body doesn't need anything. Your soul is crying out for satisfaction. When you deprive yourself of food, you're afflicting your soul, not your body. Your body can go from 21 to 40 days without food. Just drink water. Your body will be fine. And if you're drinking juice, you could do that indefinitely. Food, your body does need food, but it doesn't need tasty food. Chop up some vegetables, a little bland meat, eat that, drink a little water. That's all your body needs to survive, even to thrive. If you just put together a diet of what your body needs to thrive, you would be bored to death with eating. It's your soul that's crying out for the experience. The experience of the tastiness of the food. The delight, your soul, delight takes place in the soul, not the body. And the soul uses the body as a vehicle of delight. It seeks to procure delight from the body. So when you fast, you afflict your soul. But the whole point of the fast in Scripture is to remove external sources of satisfaction from your soul so that your soul can find God to be its its sole source of satisfaction. That's the point of fasting. To separate your soul from any other source of satisfaction but God. The problem is, when we fast one thing and deprive our soul of that form of satisfaction, we have a tendency of filling it with something else. So I fasted Facebook, but now I'm on YouTube five hours a day. Sometimes when I'm fasting food, my greatest temptation is to turn on the cooking channel. That is like faster's pornography. I mean, I, find my, I found myself one time writing down recipes Six more days, I'm going to tear this up. (laughs) I'm at the grocery store buying ingredients, making sauces. (laughs) Actually, the whole point of the fast is not sacrificing something for God. God doesn't need you to sacrifice anything. What does he need? What does he need? I mean, do you know any wealthy person that delights when you sacrifice something for them? The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him, right? He said, if I were hungry, I wouldn't ask you. I'd just eat. Can you imagine God just grabbing a cow? I'm getting somewhere. I really am. How much time do I have, by the way? Tell me what time. 8.30? Perfect. 
How many will give me 45 more minutes? All right, that's 45, an hour and a half, two hours and 25 minutes. (laughs) The point of fasting is not sacrifice. It's to remove other sources of satisfaction from the soul so that the soul can find God to be its sole source of satisfaction. The point is greater delight. We're walking around, we're fasting, but we're walking around. We're miserable. You're miserable through your whole fast. And we think that's godly. God wants me to be miserable for him. I just had this long period of spiritual misery. I feel so much better afterwards. I know that the Lord is so pleased. You know Martin Luther, when he joined the Augustinian monastery in the early 1500s, he was so scared that he was going to hell and so intent upon being saved that he was going to do everything in his power to make sure that he was saved. He would go into the confessional booth and he would confess every single minute little sin that he committed. He wanted to make sure to get them all covered. Roman Catholic Church taught that you had to confess in order to be forgiven. So he thought, man, if I don't confess something, I'm not forgiven. I'm going to hell. He would be in there for hours every day. The priests hated him. He got on their last nerve. When he joined the monastery, they gave him a room made of stone. I mean, the floors were stone, everything. The bed was stone and they put hay in in the bed area and gave him a blanket and a pillow, and he thought it was too comfortable, so he slept on the stone-cold floor in the dead of winter in his drawers. Ruined his health. He fasted so much he had colon problems and digestive issues for the rest of his life. And he thought it pleased the Lord. Finally, he was reading Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And when Paul 16 and 17, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the just shall live by faith. And suddenly he got a revelation that salvation was through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And suddenly he got free. And it started the whole reformation. He stopped trying to to procure God's favor through sacrifice. The crucifixion of the flesh is not about sacrifice. It's about the spirit. It's not about giving up stuff. It's about receiving the spirit. The spirit and the flesh cannot cohabitate the same spiritual space. One of them has to die or go. Now, here's the key. You're either going to be overwhelmed by the spirit or you're going to be overwhelmed by the flesh. And the only way to avoid being overwhelmed by the flesh is to be overwhelmed by the spirit. That's why Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. If you look at the analogy, he says either you're going to be controlled by alcohol or you'll be controlled by the Spirit. And just as inebriated as alcohol can get you, so the Holy Spirit can get you inebriated as well. 
You're either going to be overwhelmed. Now, there's this phenomenon called being slain in the spirit. Have any of you ever heard of that? Being slain in the spirit? You know what it is? I'll never forget the first time I was slain in the spirit. I was 12 years old. And this woman evangelist came to our church on a Sunday night at 745. The way she preached the gospel, she preached with such power and with such fire. I'd never heard anything like it before in my life. And I was drawn to, she didn't even do an altar call, but I was drawn to the altar. Like, I mean, it was like, I could not, I, I, I couldn't resist. And I just went up to the front and I walked up to her. I said, could you pray for me? And she just said, lift your hands. I lifted my hand and she touched me on my forehead with her middle finger. Touch him, Lord. The power of God hit me so hard. There was nobody behind me to catch me. I flew off my feet. I must have flown, flown because when I looked up, I was way over there, laid out on the floor, and I was under the power of God, speaking in tongues. I mean, I was just, go, I was going off. It was great. It was the most powerful, the most powerful. I experienced it again several times in college, especially during my, my first year of college. Where there was a move of the spirit that was happening in the Bay Area. And, and, and there was a church that everybody was talking about that was about an hour away from the city that I lived in. And me and some friends, when I was 17 years old, we drove out to this church. And when I walked into the, the lobby area of the church, the power of God, the presence of God was so strong that I started trembling. I was like, I'm walking in the lobby. I'm like, what the heck is going on in here, right? When I walked into the sanctuary, everybody's hands were lifted high and everybody was worshiping. And the pastor's son was leading the service that night. And in the midst of the worship, all of a sudden he comes down from the platform. I could see the anointing on this man visibly. It, the power of God was radiating from, I've never seen anybody under such a heavy anointing. And he walked down from the platform and he, he was walking down the aisles and all of a sudden he stopped and stretched out his hand and a whole row of people fell out. They weren't even looking at him. They were worshiping. They had their eyes closed and he just, he just, and the whole row went down. I went, what the heck? Then he walks around, comes to another row, and the whole row goes down. I said, I've never seen anything like this. People were just out. I mean, whole rows. And then he went back up to the platform. He took the microphone. He said, I want our whole leadership staff to come stand down here right now. And 40 of them came and stood at the base of the platform. And he said, the Lord says a new anointing is coming on you right now. And stretched out his hand. Bam! They all hit the floor. All 40 of them. At the same time, I was like, what the heck is this? So I said, I can't stay in my seat anymore. I need this. I left my seat and I walked up to him and I did this. He said, oh, he's hungry. And he stretched out his hand toward me. Blam. I, I, I got slain in the spirit, but I fell straight down not backward. I collapsed straight down. All of the strength left my body, like literally zero strength in my body. Boom. I hit the floor and he goes, pick him up again. They picked me up and I'm like, Oh, are you sure? He said, wait till he can stand on his own. And when I can stand on my own, he went, 
touch. Blam! I mean, he didn't even touch me. I said, pick him up again. And they pick me up again. Touch. Blam! And I'm out. So then he goes away and he's slaying more people in the spirit, putting more people out, right? I'm on the floor feeling like I'm floating. Right? I'm feeling like I'm so overwhelmed by the power of the Spirit of God, so overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord. At that moment, it was impossible to feel fear, lust, condemnation, shame, greed, anything. It was even impossible to feel repentance. I was just, it was, I was overtaken by the Spirit of God, by the presence of God. He comes back about 15, 20 minutes later, pick him up again. Blam! And it just got deeper. Pick him up again. Blam! Pick him up again. Blam! And then he goes off and he's slaying more people in the spirit, right? He comes back and I'm laid out on the floor. I thought it couldn't get more powerful. He puts the microphone down and he plants both hands on my chest. And he says, Father, transfer anointing. When he said transfer anointing, it was like somebody had climbed up on the electrical post, taken the power line, and plugged it into my chest. I was on the floor like this. When he lifted his hands, I kid you not, God is my witness. When he lifted his hands, I rolled the length of the altar back and forth at like 50, 60 miles an hour. I was like, ah, and then he left. When I finally stopped rolling, I was like, what the heck? Like, is this real? Is this possible? So I was wrecked. We drove, me and my friends, we were all at Bible college and we drove out there for this service. We were all wrecked. He found out that my friends were there. He said, oh, you got some friends here. Bring all of them over, right? He brought all of my friends, stood us all up. Blam, we're in a pile on top of each other. (laughs) Pick them up again. Blam. That night changed my entire life. I went to sleep in the presence of God. I woke up to pee in the middle of the night in the presence of God. I woke up in the morning in the presence of God. I got up early and we went, me and my friends, we met at the prayer chapel at school and we prayed for like an hour before class. We'd go to class. We'd come back at lunchtime. We'd pray for an hour. We'd go to class. We'd come back every evening at 630. We'd pray for an hour. And then we'd pray in the evening. We, I'd go home and pray for two, three hours before going to sleep at night. The presence of God just got thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. A couple weeks later, I said to my buddy, I said, we got to go back out there. We went, out, we, back, we went back out there on a Wednesday night, and they were having a youth service. And so I'm thinking, you know, these are high school students. So, I mean, it, you know, it's probably going to be pretty youthy, Right. You know, have a youthy service, you know, some games, an icebreaker, attention getter, right? Some activities, and then a youthy message. Man, I go in there, 
And first of all, the worship is powerful. And these, there's like 300 youth in there. And they're like, they're, I mean, they're singing, they're worshiping, they got their hands raised. And all of a sudden, the same guy who was leading the service, the pastor's son, he was 24 years old at the time. He's walking around and he says, you come here. Blam, he's laying people out. Blam, just during the worship. Blam, laying people out. Blam. And I'm, I'm, I could barely worship because I'm thinking, please call me. I got to have more of this. I must have more. And suddenly he calls me and my friend Tony who came together. You two come here. And Tony and I come over and he lays his hands on our cheek at the same time. And at, on both of our cheeks. The power of God. And we're standing sideways. Both of us, it was like we were blasted out of a cannon sideways. And even he was like, dang, <laughs> right? You know, he saw God, he said, dang. <laughs> Look at this room. Did you see that? <laughs> right? It was crazy, right? So me and Tony go back. And Tony, we're both uh, students at, at, at the Bible college. Tony was a year ahead of me. He was a sophomore. I was a freshman. And uh, Tony and I were so excited. We were like, we're going to get this anointing. Man, we got this anointing. He laid hands on me and said, transfer anointing. I've got it, right? And so we're like, we're going to pray into this. We're going to see this. We're gonna re- we were so excited. We were so excited. And so the next night we got back and uh, I said, Tony, let's just pray all night tonight. Let's just pray all night long tonight. And Tony goes, I'm down. Let's do it. Let's do it. He goes, but I got to lock up the campus first because he was working security on the campus. So it was about 10 o'clock. So I said, I'll walk with you. So we're walking around the campus and we're shouting because we didn't think anybody was there. Everybody's gone, right? We're shouting and singing and praying. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Right? We walk in the library. We think nobody's there. So we're still shouting. Hallelujah. Oh, sorry. There were these (laughs) two young ladies who were sitting over there studying. And they said, what's going on with you two? And we're like, oh, nothing. Oh, no, we were just praising the Lord. You know, we're just talking to Jesus. I mean, what's happening? Well, we were, you know, we're going to pray tonight. Where? Well, we're going to be at the prayer chapel. We're going to pray all night. Really? Can we come? And I'm thinking, oh, no, we got to pray through tonight. You know, me and Tony, we don't have time for We said, sure, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. So Tony said, ben, ben, Benjamin, why don't you and these two young ladies go ahead to the prayer chapel and start praying, and I'll finish locking up, and I'll join you guys there. So I said, okay, cool. So the three of us go. We go into the prayer chapel and we start praying and, you know, I'm, I'm all excited. I'm going to press into the glory. And as soon as we start praying, one of the two just starts, she starts wailing and bawling and crying. I'm like, oh no, you know, I don't have time for this. You know, this is crazy. This is terrible. What happened? Get over it. You know, you know, just rebuke it. Take authority over it. What is Rule your spirit, you know? And so I looked at her friend. I said, what's wrong with her? And she said, I can't tell you. And I'm like, well, you know, why are you here? I mean, so she goes, Benjamin, go lay hands on her. And I'm like, well, what's that going to do? I mean, she's, I'd see if she was hungry for the anointing or something. But, you know, she's, she's in, I don't know, she lost her friend or I don't know, she had a, I don't know, boyfriend just broke up with her. Something happened, but, 
what's laying hands on her going to do? She says, you can do it, Benjamin. You can do it. So I go over. I'm laying hands. You know, nothing's working. I'm laying hands in Jesus' name, trying to impart something. Nothing's coming. I'm looking at my hand like, is there anything in there? (laughs) Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And then finally, Tony shows up. I'm like, oh, great, Tony. You know, she's crying. So we're praying for her and we're praying for her. You know, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Finally, they said, well, we've been here for about two hours. We're tired. We're going to go home. And I thought, thank God. You know, so they get up and uh, and and uh, they take two steps toward the door. And I'm behind them. Tony and I are behind them. And as as we take two steps for the door, the woman we were praying for suddenly goes, ah, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I said, this is it. This is it. So Tony and I walk over to, we lay hands on her. Bam. The power of God hits her. Bam. She hits the floor and the spirit of joy falls on her. She, ha, 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 ha. she just starts cracking up laughing. Supernatural joy. Like the joy of the Lord just breaks out. Supernatural joy. I mean, she's laughing and laughing. And now her friends freaked out. Her friends like, what is this? What is going on? Why is she suddenly happy? It's funny that people have a problem with the spirit of joy. A minute ago she was crying. Now she's laughing. And you think this is just too strange that God can give someone joy in the midst of their sorrow. So now we're all rejoicing. We're praying. We're worshiping. Finally, she gets up off the floor and we walk her home. She, I'm I'm talking about, she rejoiced all the way home. Every day we saw her after that, she's just joyful. I mean, that thing just broke off of her life, whatever it was. It just broke off of her life. So we were so excited. We said, yes. So we took her. She lived in the dorms. We walked the two of them down to the dorms, made sure they got in safely. We are, yes, now we're going to go back and pray all night long. We're going to pray into this thing, and we're going to see signs and wonders and miracles. And we're, now we're shouting, right? But it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. Two other, two other young ladies, they stick their head out of their dorm because their dorm was right. What are you guys doing? Oh, we're going to pray all night. Now, what did I say that for? You're going to pray all night? Yeah. Can we come? Oh, no. We go back up to the prayer chapel. So Tony and I start praying. You know, we're warring. We're reaching. We're believing God to do mighty things. And all of a sudden, one of the young ladies takes off running. So I chase her. Like way down the hill. I catch her. What, you, what is the problem? And she said, whenever I pray, I hear demons screaming in my ear. And I thought, all right, then have a good night. Go on. <laughs> As you were. <laughs> Obviously, you're heading somewhere. Don't let me stop you. ha. <laughs> No, that's what I was tempted to say, but I didn't say that. I said, all right, well, come back up. Come back up. So she, so she comes back up to the prayer chapel, and, uh, and I said, uh, Tony, I said, uh, can I talk to you in private for a second? He said, sure. So I take Tony outside. I said, Tony, um, no, 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 before I did that, I said, let's go up. So let's go up. I thought, let's just take authority. So, uh, I, so we go up, you know, and I say, okay, listen, she's hearing demons screaming in her ear, so we're just going to pray now and, and, you know, just believe God to break this thing. So Tony goes, all right, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. So he said, we command this power of Satan to break off of your life in Jesus' name. And all of a sudden she goes, you know. And I said, 
I said, Satan, you're a liar. And she goes, I am not a liar. I said, I said, Tony, can I speak to you outside, please? <laughs> so we step outside, right? And I said, uh, Tony, did you hear that? He goes, yeah, I heard that. I said, that was Satan. Satan is in her. No, Satan just talked to us. We just got a word from Satan. Through her. Did you hear what I heard? He goes, yeah, I heard it. I said, Tony, we're in, we're in over our heads. Okay. We're too young for this. Okay. I'm 17. You're 20. We're kids. Okay. It's two o'clock in the morning and Satan is talking to us in there. We're here to talk to Jesus, not Satan. Now, Reverend Fears lives up the street. Reverend Fears is very qualified to handle this kind of a situation. He's 78 years old and he's been in the ministry longer than we've been alive. I say we walk up the street to Reverend Fears' house Wake him up and bring him here so he can cast out Satan. And Tony goes, no, we're going to take care of this ourselves. I said, all right, got your back. So we go in and we just go gangster. Come out of her in Jesus. And you know, I mean, it's crazy. Pretty soon she's on the floor, laying on the floor, just, I am not, I'm not coming out. I'm not coming out. I mean, the devil is just talking through her in a different voice, right? We're like, yes, you are coming out. Come out right now. No, you can't get me out. Oh, yeah, then why are you on the floor? (laughs) (laughs) all of the sudden the peace of God fell on her the devil came out of her she started crying and she started to pray in her own voice and she started saying thank you Jesus 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 and then we laid hands on her the Holy Spirit fell on her she started speaking in tongues she got baptized in the Holy Spirit and then all of a sudden, the spirit of joy fell on her. And now she's laughing. <laughs> she's laughing in the spirit and just laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. We finally take these two home. Now it's about three o'clock in the morning. Tony and I had some wisdom now. We dropped them off. I looked at Tony. I said, we're going to pray all night. We go up to the prayer chapel. We go, oh, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. About 20 minutes, I said, Tony, you ready to go home? He goes, yeah, let's go, dog. <laughs> you know what happened after that? Move of the Spirit of God hit our church community. Young people started getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about junior high, elementary school age kids, high school age kids. My pastor came to us and said, I want you and Tony to lead a Wednesday night prayer meeting specifically to see youth and children get baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what I want. 
So Tony and I prayed six to eight hours a day for that prayer meeting. Wednesdays, we didn't have class, so we got to the prayer chapel at 7.30 a.m. We laid on our faces till 6.30 p.m. when the prayer meeting started. That church had prayer meeting every night, every night, seven nights a week from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Every night. And there was about 15 to 20 people that would show up at the nightly prayer meeting. Our Wednesday night prayer meeting would have 50, 60, and 70 people. And the power of God would fall so heavy that people were getting slain in the spirit. People were getting healed. And every week there were children getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. I remember one week, the problem kid of the school, there was a Christian school across the street that we went to, that I went to. And the problem kid of that school, he was like in the eighth grade and they brought him over. He had absolutely no seriousness about him. He was a problem child and making all kinds of trouble. I look over in the prayer chap in the prayer meeting and, and that prayer meeting, I look over at him. He's going, speaking in tongues. His teachers are like, what the heck? I remember. Tony and I went to the eighth grade chapel service that year. And uh, we taught on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Actually, we didn't teach on the baptism. I'm sorry, take that back. We taught on something completely irrelevant to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But there were two young girls that came to us, two eighth grade girls that came to us afterwards. And they said, we heard something about speaking in tongues. Uh, Holy Spirit. Can you tell us about that? We said, yeah, speaking in tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit that God gives to his children to empower them to pray. Paul said, if you speak in a tongue, you build yourself up. And secondly, it's a language of intimacy between you and the Father. They said, can we have it? Is it for everybody? We said, you can have it right now. So we said, they said, we got to go to class right now. I said, what time's your break? They said, 10 a.m. How long does it last? Till 10.10. said, okay, talk to your teacher. Tell her you need to come to the prayer chapel at 10 a.m. We'll have you back in class by 10.10. Both of those young ladies came to the prayer chapel at 10. They went back to their class speaking in tongues at 1010. Both of them. You know what I'm finding is that God is desperate to give the, the Holy Spirit to his children. He is desperate to give the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, I said all of that, that about being slain in the spirit because it's also possible to be slain in the flesh. People get slain in the flesh all the time. When you're slain in the spirit, the Holy Spirit overwhelms your human ability. It's a sign. When your physical body loses its strength and you can't stand anymore in your own power, the Holy Spirit puts you down. It's a sign that the Holy Spirit has just taken over your life. That you're no longer living by your own power. You're no longer living by your own means. You're no longer living for yourself. Now the power of God has overtaken your power. It is a a sign from God. It's like God is sending you a message saying, note, I am stronger than you. And I'll prove it. Zap. If you didn't know, I have more power than you have. My strength is greater than your strength. And so you can trust me now and stop leaning on your own understanding. But the flesh is also stronger than you too. And if you seek it, you will find it. When you search for it with all your heart, it will be found of you. And when you find it, it will take over. 
Once again, you won't lean on your own understanding. You'll lean on the understanding of the flesh. Your own power will be overwhelmed because how many times have you found yourself fighting something that you didn't want to do, but found that you had to do it? That's because you're slain in the flesh. You're slain in the flesh when you're pulled by the sinful nature back into the world that you thought you escaped. You're slain in the flesh when you fall into a sinful pattern or behavior that you can't pick yourself up out of. When you're slain, I remember that night when I was slain in the spirit, I couldn't get off the floor if I wanted to. I was under the power of the spirit. When you're slain in the flesh, you can't get up off the floor if you wanted to. But you live under the illusion that you can. fact of the matter is you don't really have any strength you're not very strong in yourself at all if you're not under the power of the spirit you're going to be under the power of the flesh you're not strong enough to resist both there's no such thing as a neutral human being the only question is which power are you going to let kill you are you going to let the spirit kill your flesh or are you going to let the flesh kill your spirit Tonight, I got great news for you. I want you to know that even if you're here tonight and you're in a mortal battle with the flesh. I, I Listen, I know what it's like to be in a battle with the flesh. To find yourself doing stuff that you know is wrong. Stuff that you hate. Stuff that will leave you lying awake at night thinking, what in the heck is my problem? Why can't I stop this? And an hour later, you're right back into it. Why? Because you're slain in the flesh. You can't get up. You're stuck. You're stuck. Say, so why can't I just stop it? Because you're slain in the flesh. It killed your will. It put your will to death. It put your sense of your own power to death. It put you to death to the power of self-control. But the fruit of the spirit is self-control. When you're in the spirit, it doesn't put you to death. It puts your flesh to death. It puts the sinful nature to death. It makes you alive. So many people are afraid of the spirit. I'm afraid of the spirit. Why? Because I'm going to lose self-control. I'm going to lose control of myself. I don't want to lose control of myself. Let me tell you something. You're never in greater control of yourself than you are when you're in the spirit. Because the, only the spirit can give you control of yourself. When you're in the flesh, you're out of control. We should be so scared to come near the flesh. It's dangerous. That's when you're out of control. But when you're in the spirit, you possess the power of self-determination. You possess the power to say, I will not be bound, and you won't be. You possess the power to say, I will not be stuck in a rut, and you won't be. You possess the power of self-determination. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. When you lose yourself in the spirit, you find yourself in the spirit. That's why Jesus said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake, he shall find it. Tonight, if you could get over your fear of losing control and allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life and, and take control, he will set you free. I'm telling you, he will set you free. He will set you free. He will set you free. He wants to overtake you and give you the power to put to death the misdeeds of the body. But listen, you don't get it by just drinking a teaspoon of the spirit. You got to drink deeply. Just like you don't get drunk with wine by having a sip. 
you got to drink the whole bottle. I'm saying you got to drink the whole bottle tonight. You got to make a decision. I'm tired of sipping from the river. I'm going to jump in the river. I'm tired of just getting my feet wet. I'm tired of, I'm tired of, I'm tired of flirting with this thing. I'm going to marry it now. Come on, somebody. You've been flirting the Holy, with the Holy Spirit for a long time. It's time to DTR. Define the relationship. I saw some questions up there. I thought I would. <laughs> Don't you hate when people use those, you know, acronyms? DMZ, LOL. You know what I can't stand? When people say LOL out loud. Those people should go to jail. That should not be allowed. <laughs> All right, bow your heads. The Holy Spirit is getting ready to fall. Are you ready? Are you ready? I can just sense... I can just sense a river rising. I can just sense a river rising that God is taking us back into the renewal. And he's taking us deeper into the renewal than we've ever gone before in our lives. He is desperate to give his children his spirit. The fact of the matter is, you, if you know Jesus Christ, you've already received the spirit. If you know Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit because you cannot even say, you cannot even confess that Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you are Christ's, you have the Spirit. And it's the Spirit of Sonship. And the mark of Sonship is freedom. Now, when we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the bubbling up and overflow of what you've already received when you came to faith in Christ. You have to get out of the lack mentality. Because so many believers, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, all this condemnation and fear and shame comes because you think God hasn't given him to you. And you think you're missing something and lacking something. I, I'm telling you that the way into the fullness of the Spirit is by believing that you possess all things. By believing that you have already received the Spirit of his Son and by him you cry out, Abba, Father. All you are asking him to do is to bubble up on the inside of you and overflow. And tonight, God wants to cause you to step into the overflow of the Spirit of the living God. He wants to cause you to step into the overflow. He's giving you faith. I just sense right now that God is releasing faith in this house to, receive, to step into the overflow of the Spirit. To step into the overflow of the Spirit. I believe right now that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is about to fall. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is about to be released in this house. Some of you in this room right now have never spoken in tongues before. But you're hungry for it. You've been asking God for it. Some of you even fasted for it. And some of you, many of you actually got it at the retreat. And that's great. But some more of you are going to get it tonight. If you're here tonight and you say, I haven't received the, I have not received the manifestation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I'm desperate. I want it. I want you to come stand right up here right now.